Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. New single dropping today. It'll be called Blame It on the Crane. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds from construction disasters. You're welcome, America. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, one half of the Millie Vanilli tribute band, Villy Manilli, my brother Mike. Villy Manilli. Actually, we got a new, that was harder to say than you imagined. New, that was pretty new tough New single to dropping today. It'll be called Blame It on the Crane, all right? It's, <laughs> it's just sounds from construction disasters. You're welcome, America. All right? <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Blame it on the crane. That's perfect. <laughs> only about, what? 40% of the audience will get, will be old enough to get that. Maybe more. Maybe it'll be 60. I don't know. But if you don't know who Millie Vanilli was, look it up. It was a moment in pop culture history that some of us will never forget, especially Mike, because it's dear to his heart. That's right. Uh, on this week's episode, we'll look back at the week that was a very interesting week for the Royals. I mean, a lot of signs of hope, a lot of, I mean, today, did you, did you, I'm sure you got the chance to watch today's game, I Mike. Did, it was yes. very exhilarating. Uh, and so, yeah. Great game today. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll also preview the upcoming MLB draft, which happens one week from today. Almost one week from right now, the Royals will be roughly picking, maybe an hour ago or 45 minutes from right now. And so, yeah, exciting time for the Kansas City Royals. For those of you who are big into the draft like Mike and I are, that's a fun time. Uh, we'll also preview this week's slate of games, but we have an announcement first to make before we get going, and that is Royals Weekly is doing something very special on draft night, Sunday, July 9th, we will be hosting a live watch along of the 2023 MLB draft on our YouTube channel. We'll be joined by special guest Alex Duvall of Royals Farm Report. He's been on our show many times. Is, it, is he a Nobody special knows. guest anymore? He's <laughs> always a special guest. Part, it's always special when Alex contributor, joins Alex us. Duvall. <laughs> it's, it's always a special thing when he joins us. And so a guy who knows a ton about Major League Baseball draft, a ton about Royals prospects and the farm system and everything. We will uh, do all of the day one coverage. So you'll be getting analysis of Royals day one picks. That's pick eight, pick 44, and pick 62, which is all the, all the ones they'll do on day, day one. We'll kick off that coverage at the exact same time as the draft, roughly, which is 6 p.m. Central time. It'll probably take about 40 minutes or so before the Royals pick. And then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that pick. We'll go away for a little while. We'll bring it back when they pick again at 44, and then we'll go away again, and we'll come back for 62. So... Make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel. Make sure you check out that YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash at Royals Weekly. That's youtube.com slash at Royals Weekly, 6 p.m. Sunday, July 9th. Come join us. We'll be having a blast. We'll be cracking jokes. We'll be very excited about the guy the the Royals are going to take. And so uh, come join us, please. It'll be a lot of fun. We also want to mention that Royals Weekly is brought to you by Knapp Family Wealth. Mike, can you think of anything more important than securing your financial future? Uh, securing the rights to Tila Tequila's life story? No. Speaking of pop culture moments, uh, come on, I man. She's, isn't she like a Nobel lawyer, laureate, I think? I, I take all She's my life a, advice from her. She is not a Nobel lawyer nor a Nobel laureate. <laughs> <laughs> Securing your financial future is one of the most important steps someone can take for themselves and their family, and Nat Family Wealth is ready to help you pursue it. This isn't some big, faceless corporation we're talking about here. Nat Family Wealth is run by J.C. Knapp. He's a huge baseball fan, and he's been helping people plan for their financial futures for 20 years. He can help with retirement planning so you don't have to work until you're dead, education planning so your kids learn to read good, investment management so you get all that money from out of your mattress and get it working for you. Don't spend another day thinking you've got it all figured out because trust me, you don't. Check out Nap Family Wealth at napfamilywealth.com. That's K-N-A-P-P familywealth.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA slash SIPC. 
We'll start our review of last week with actually what might be the most interesting portion, and that's the roster news from last week. It's interesting because the Royals finally got to trading some of the pieces that they need to be trading during this trade season. In fact, they got to trading the most important piece that they need to trade during the season, and that's Araldis Chapman. Last week, the Royals traded Araldis Chapman to the Texas Rangers for Cole Reagans, a 25-year-old left-handed pitcher, and Ronnie Cabrera, a 17-year-old outfielder. Yes, you can be signed to a major league team as young as 16. <laughs> actually, if you're, if you're not from this country, signing. yes. <laughs> and and honestly, they actually make those agreements sometimes even before they're 16 and some kind of back room, shady handshake type stuff. If you, if you want to, there is an under a seedy underbelly to Major League Baseball, if you don't know. Uh, and we can talk more about that if you're interested. But anyway, if you don't know, Cole Reagans is a former first round pick who's had some success in Minor League Baseball, but has struggled so far in the Major Leagues. He's thrown about 65 innings, roughly, of Major League Baseball, uh, some in relief, some starting. He's got a career 532 ERA in those 64 point and a third innings pitched. Uh, but he's throwing harder this year than he ever has, has his fastball running up to like 95 from the left side. And his pitch metrics look pretty good on some of his pitches, his cutter, not so much. But Cabrera is a good-looking young outfielder. He had a 1.075 OPS in 69 plate appearances in the Dominican Summer League so far this year. Still really young, really raw, but a lot of things you like, uh, a lot of uh, potential in a guy like Cabrera. Mike, what do you think of the return for Chapman? What do you think about the Royals, what the Royals got? Well, you and I mentioned the Rangers is a very good uh, possibility for a landing spot for Chapman, but we didn't look at any of these guys as possible return because uh, Reagans has already pitched in major league baseball uh, this year, mostly as a reliever. And he, it just doesn't, you know, turn the light on. It doesn't make the, the stars go boom in my mind. Like that's not, the return is a little underwhelming when Colt, when uh, Cole Reagans is the centerpiece of this. Um, but I feel like I understand why the Royals uh, went to this. Cole Reagans is the kind of guy where you feel like if you can make one change or, uh, you know, kind of one significant thing, he might become a very um, important part of a rotation, a very uh, productive part of a rotation. So, yeah, I I do completely understand it. And actually, the thing that kind of gives me a little bit more hope is the kicker. You know, um, the throw in there of Cabrera, I thought is is a good is a good lottery ticket. Now here's the negative, and I can't remember who I saw this from. I might be stealing this from somebody. Um, could have been Josh Kaiser of Run One Royal Way, but they said, "How would you think of this move in five years if neither one of these guys had a significant impact at the major league level? You would look at it as a negative." And I think there's a there is a pretty good possibility that 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 happens. Like Reagan's is no guarantee by any stretch of the imagination, even though he's already pitched in Major League Baseball. So I'm a little bit underwhelmed, but I certainly understand where the Royals came from on this. See, here's my thing. I don't know that you would be overly disappointed in five years if neither of these guys has any impact and looks like they're not going to have any impact on Major League Baseball because you traded them for three months of Aroldis Chapman, like he's a rental. Aroldis Chapman is just a rental. Would you have loved to have gotten? See, I'm I'm actually, I, I think it's better that they got two guys who you can imagine have a high ceiling. Reagan's, you're right. You fix one thing with him and it's probably, you know, take away his cutter, make his uh, command a little bit better so he stops walking so many guys. And you have probably a, a serviceable, if not good mid-rotation starter. Cabrera, he's so far away, it's hard to know exactly what it'll take for him to be successful, but you definitely see the potential for a regular major league contributor in him. I would rather get guys who have that level of upside, but also some risk that they may never contribute to a major league team than to get a few quad A guys who are like, you know, yeah, we're, these guys are never going to amount to anything. Like you remember the uh, uh, Sycamore Beckway Chandler Champlain trade? At yeah. the time, we were like, oh, this looks like these guys are just never even, these are all like marginal guys. Now, Chandler Champlain has recovered some prospect value and now looks like maybe he could be a guy at some point. Uh, but I would much rather get two guys who I can look at and say, wow, Reagans has some potential as a former first round pick, as a guy who's had success in minor league baseball. Guy has some potential if we can change one or two of his characteristics. And then Cabrera looks like a guy who, you know, all the tools in the world, you got a chance to turn them into something. I'd much rather get those upside guys than, yeah. And I, I know he, we didn't get that one upside prospect. We didn't get that Brock Porter for him or something like that. But all in all, I think this is as much as you can ask for, for a guy like, uh, for 
three months of a relief pitcher who, while good, is not, you know, elite, elite in Aroldis Chapman because he doesn't do well pitching on back-to-back days. He still has a very high walk rate. You know, he has an injury history and all that sort of stuff. I think they got about as much as you could get for a guy like that. Speaking of injury history, we do have to mention that Reagan's is a two-time Tommy John guy as well. So there, there is some injury risk as well there. Of course, you also do like that if you can put him in the bullpen, he's got experience doing that as well. He's got the stuff to do that probably. But uh, And I do love his changeup. But um, yeah, I, I was hoping for somebody who had a, a little bit more upside in like a Brock Porter or somebody who was um, hadn't had the experience in Major League Baseball yet and said, okay, you know. Something a little bit more to dream on. Let me put it that way. A little bit more to dream on. Yeah. Well, well that's the thing. If, if if this were a pick for Reagans a year or two ago, right, and he didn't have the bad track record in Major League Baseball that he's got so far, we'd be like, yeah, this is good. This is a he good might be really Reagans, happy. Yeah. You know, all that sort of stuff. And it's like, yeah, I get that. And you're right. Two Tommy Johns. That, to me, is like the biggest knock on this as a trade is that Reagans has two Tommy Johns in his history. And you're like, eesh, it's, eesh, I don't know about that. The, the significant injury history and all that sort of stuff. So that will be, to me, a significant risk that comes along with with taking a guy like Reagans, but almost worth it, too. I'm willing to take on a lot of risk to get a lot of upside in trades because I, I just don't want marginal guys anymore. They're not doing anything for us. I'm, in my mind, you go after guys who are either going to give you something who are going to be potential major league contributors, everyday guys, or you don't go after anybody. Cause what's the point of a whole bunch of marginal quad a guys. I will say also that what I've heard from different people, Alex Duvall of Royals farm report, Preston Farr, things like that. There are some things to really like about some of his pitch metrics, his, his pitch data. You know, he's got that fastball up to 95 miles an hour. He's spinning it at a pretty elite rate. He's getting good swings and miss off of it. He is not that far. I mean, I guess he's a little bit far removed from his last Tommy John. And so, you know, you hope the command gets a little bit better because, you know, the walk rate he has right now with the or had with the Rangers and things like that isn't gonna isn't gonna do much. And I will say that Reagan's came out and pitched really well in four innings today for Omaha. He made his debut for Omaha today and then fell apart in the fifth because he hasn't been starting. And so they're like building him up again. He clearly just ran out of gas and you know, started getting hit, but he was dominant for four innings today in Omaha. And so there's a little bit of a good sign there as we start seeing what Reagan's could be for this team. Interesting trade. Some more should be coming down the pike. We'll see. Last week, the Royals also brought back Kyle Isbell from the injured list. Mike, what were your thoughts on getting him back in the lineup, watching him out there in center field and all that? Um, my hope is that he brings the offense he was showing in Omaha to Kansas City because he was really hitting the ball well in Omaha. Um, he needed, I don't want to say he needed, he, you never want a guy to get injured, but offensively he kind of needed a reset anyway. And so he has done some things. He's been a little bit more patient in the limited time he's been back. So really that's what I'm looking for is how selective is he at the plate when, you know, not when he comes back, he's already back as he, we keep going here. Can he continue to be selective at the plate? We know his defense is going to be good in center field. He's shown that as well. Really got around the bases pretty well today too, uh, in today's game. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do. It's it's more it's more quality um, players in the outfield now with Drew Waters looking pretty good. Isbell, you got Samad Taylor if you need him. Uh, Melinda's is still struggling, but uh, we need we need more help in that outfield. So it's a good thing. Yeah, one thing that I think is underrated that I really love that I'm seeing from Kyle Isbell is he looks healthy running around the bases and running around the outfield. In the past, we would see Royals teams, especially with things like hamstring injuries, maybe push the envelope a little bit and bring a guy back a little too soon for who knows what reason they were hardly ever competitive. And so, but but you'd be like, wow, he doesn't look like he's running great. Isbell looks like he's running great out there. He he t- he went uh, he's tagged on a fly ball, went third to home today, and mm-hmm. just looks as fast as I've ever seen him. And that was great, right? It's great to see him out there playing elite defensive center field. I agree with you. I would love to see that offense translate from Omaha. If he can be any part of an offensive solution, anything around league average as a hitter, you just absolutely love that. And you say, great, now we can have an outfield of Kyle Isbell in center, Drew Waters in right, and maybe is maybe Melendez if he could pick it up in left or Samad Taylor or someone in left field. Eventually, it'll probably hopefully be Melendez, but we'll see if we can get him back on track offensively. Great to have Kyle Isbell back. Love to see that. We also got to see friend of the show, Alec Marsh, make his major league debut. Mike, who called that? Just want to, who, who, who predicted this was your, this as was a your bold prediction take. that he would make a start this year? 
This was your hot take at the beginning of the year, and it happened before the All Star break. That's how I bad. The, I didn't even. That's how bad that. the pitching's been. <laughs> Yay! Yes, that's how bad and injured the pitching has been. Is Alec Marsh made a start before the All Star break? Uh, but credit to him too. He's also pitched pretty well in Double A and Triple A. His stuff looks really, really good. Improved. He's finding some command. He's still walking a few too many guys. But he was called up, made a spot start for Jordan Lyles, who got sick and couldn't make his turn in the rotation that day. And so he ended up making a start. We'll see if at Marsh ends up making more starts in Major League Baseball or if he's sent back down. I think he's going to be sent back down for now, get more AAA starts, and we'll see what happens August, September. Mike, what were your thoughts on Alec Marsh and how he looked uh, in his one start? I just I, I always forget because I've had a chance to watch a full start from him this year but I always forget how good his breaking stuff is really good movement on the breaking pitches. I was really happy to see it. The, the, the curious thing to me was I've been hearing all the kind of back and forth on, or the feedback on his new fastball and how well it's been playing in the top of the zone. And then I watched that start and he was throwing them almost exclusively in the lower half. And I was like, well, you've had success throwing them up in the zone. He threw a few up in the zone, but mostly they were down in the zone and some of those down in the zone got hit. Hard, really hard. Uh, The one Jason Hayward may have even gotten out on it, but he crushed one to the right side on a fastball uh, in the lower third. And so I'm just like, you know, I'd like to see that kind of plan change up a little bit. I'd like to see the fastball play more up in the zone, but man, the breaking stuff is just so good. And that's fun to watch. You know, he made, uh, was it Muncie? He made Muncie look just silly on a changeup down and away. That might've been in the first or second inning. I can't remember. And it was like, yeah, that's what Alec Marsh can be when he's, when he's doing it right. Now he did, you're right. He needs to find the zone more. He can't walk that, that many guys, but I'm, I'm real. I was really encouraged by it. I know he gave up five earned runs in four innings, but I was really encouraged by it. Um, love to see him get back up here and uh, you know, not face. That was, that was a tough draw too, man. Your first start ever. You're going against one of the best teams in baseball and it's going to be a hundred degrees with like 99% humidity. Come on out, kid. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah, that was <laughs> tough. In some ways, it also takes all the pressure off. Like there's no expectations for Alec Marsh to go out and dominate this Roger, this Dodgers lineup. That's just not going to happen. And so, yeah, you're right. His stuff looked good. He did fall in love with his changeup a little too much in my mind. Like it was throwing and a, a couple of times. Change-ups. I can't remember what inning it was. I want to say it was the third. He lost the feel for it early in the inning and spiked a couple couple non-competitive pitches back-to-back, too. Yeah, and for him, it's all about pitch mix in my mind. You're right, he has a good fastball. You're right, some of his other stuff is really good, but none of it is dominant. He doesn't have a, any dominant pitches in my mind. He's got a lot of 50 or 55-grade pitches, and he needs to throw all of them. He needs to be throwing the slider, the curveball, the changeup, the cutter, the fat forcing fastball. He needs to be throwing all of that at them and say, like, be confused about what's coming because it's all good enough to get swings and misses if they don't know what's coming, if they can kind of feel out what's coming there, then he's in a little bit of trouble. And so I hope he gets a little bit of a different plan as he goes down and works more in AAA. And that plan ends up being something like 40% fastballs and then 20% on all the rest of his pitches, really mix stuff in there and then play off that high heat really well. I think he'll, he'll do good with a plan like that. And you're right. It, the more he has success in AAA, maybe the more he lives in the zone and he gets a, gets that walk number to come down. Last week on the field was a wacky week for the boys in blue. They lost two of three to the Cleveland Guardians and then took two of three from one of the best teams in baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mike, how do you feel about what you saw on the field last week? It was it was a crazy one, man. Uh, you lose to the, the Guardians series, and I had to go look it up because I was like, I know we didn't play well in that series because I watched, I think, all the games. Minus 13 run differential in that and scored a total of six runs in three games. Okay. And then, of course, you come out and you pound the Dodgers today and you win You win one yesterday. You score six runs yesterday. So it's it's just weird. Baseball is weird. But I think we started to in that Dodgers series and you heard uh, their manager come out and say Dave Roberts come out and say, well, they beat us with situational hitting, good base running, that sort of stuff. And it's like, you know what? A lot of times that's just manager talk. Today it wasn't. They were doing it felt like every decision Matt Quattrero made was the right decision. And it's like, except for maybe that bunt in the first or whatever, <laughs> second. Don't know if that was his or Bobby Witt Jr.'s decision, honestly. We don't know. But uh, other than that, they, they were all gold. I mean, Michael Garcia in the leadoff spot works out great. Uh, you know, Bobby Witt Jr. gets down to two strikes, 
it's one the other way. It's like, it, it was just perfect situational baseball today. And uh, it was good to see. It was good to see. And it was good to see the bottom third of the lineup really play well today and see like, okay, if Kyle Isbell is going to give you offensive contribution, if Drew Waters is going to give you an offensive contribution, Nikki Lopez, Nikki Lopez hit well today. I'm not going to count on that ever, but like if, if you're getting a little bit of production from those guys at the bottom, look at how good this lineup can be. I mean, just look at it. Bobby Witt Jr. Didn't have a great game today, but he squibbed one for a hit and he had a sack fly or two. Boom. There you go. He, it was productive, right? Michael Garcia had a great game, but he's a guy who's going to have a lot of singles in the game because that's the kind of hitter he is, you know? Um, Salvi didn't have an amazing game or anything like that. You know, they didn't have one guy just kind of pounding balls out of the yard or something. They put a bunch of balls in play. They took walks. They had like, I think they had four or five walks today, right? And on top of the 11 hits or whatever they had, it was a crazy, crazy good game from them to go on top of a series where they didn't make a bunch of mistakes and they capitalized on the mistakes of, of uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And to be honest with you, they also got a little bit lucky, right? They, they won that game yesterday because they had a whole bunch of blue pits fall in, right? Sometimes that luck is going to happen. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is like, now when you look at that series as a whole, you're not going to go, well, the Royals are more talented than the Dodgers now. no, you know, yesterday's win was blue pier, blue pier, take advantage of some small things. Today was somewhat similar. You know, they took advantage of some good situations that they put themselves in and then exploited the Dodgers for making mistakes. But the formula for winning, for being a really good team is doing all that stuff and having guys that can pound the baseball and having guys that are can strike people out. Like it's not, you can't go win a series playing 1918 baseball you can't win, you know, you can't win a world series doing that stuff anymore. It's not going to happen. You have to be able to do both to have sustained success. But, on, you know, in July on a weekend or on a, is it a weekend series? Yeah. Weekend series against the Dodgers. Sometimes you can pull out a win just by playing old school baseball. And there's something to be said for the fact that right now in their lineup, they have some hitters who it looks like are determined to not strike out. So Bobby Witt Jr. has gotten so much better. We've marked this like we've, we've talked about this. His, he has dropped his strikeout rate in June tremendously. He's cut it in half, and you see it at the plate. You saw it in that plate appearance today where he got down like 0-2 or 1-2, fought back and hits that squibber through the right side. That ends up scoring a run, and it keeps the inning going and all that sort of stuff. They have a lot of guys who are capable of having those types of at-bats, Michael Garcia, even Freddie Fermin sometimes, and some other guys, who are capable of having those types of at-bats where the worst thing you could do in that about is strike out and they at least just put the ball in play. It gives them a chance. It gives you a chance to have that luck of your squibber going through or of your bloop falling or whatever. You don't get that chance to have that luck if you're striking out. And it looks like as a team, they're striking out less than they were in the early days when they were really struggling. Their strikeout rate was near 30% as a team. And, you know, you're not going to have a ton of success that way. Mike, we had some strong performers in a week where they went three and three. Uh, who is the person you want to talk about is really excelling this week? First, if I'm not mistaken, isn't this only the second series they've won all year? Nah, I think the third. I, I, I think they took one from San Diego. The and then they had, I think, one before that against the White Sox, I think. I think they've won a series against the okay. White Sox, the Padres, and now the um, Dodgers. How, how dare I doubt them? Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> strong performer for the week for me is a guy that I'm really excited about because I feel like he can kind of be a, a very important piece to the future of the Royals. And that's drew waters um, eight for 20 this week, three walks. That's pretty big for him. Uh, sorry, three doubles, two walks. That's still pretty big for him. Six strikeouts for still a little too high and two stolen bases. Uh, he, he has been just kind of the offensive juggernaut in the last like 10 games. That's really driving their offensive production. I would love to see what happens if he can bring that walk rate down a little bit. Sorry, not the walk rate, the strikeout rate down a little bit. Sorry, I'm really tired. Um, because I feel if, if he can do that, you're talking about a guy from both sides of the plate who plays a solid outfield, who can run. And that's, I mean, that, that is so valuable. That is so valuable. And then you put him at six or seven, man, you've just, you've just overhauled the bottom of your lineup and, and turned it into something that can really be productive. So if Drew Waters can keep it up, I think he's, that's going to be, if he continues this, that's a big storyline from this year. You'll be talking about the improvement of Bobby Witt Jr. and solidifying of Drew Waters as part of your lineup for the future. Yeah, that would be huge, and I would love to see that strikeout rate come down. Because if it does, 
that's really the only thing for him. Like the strikeout rate is the only thing that's keeping him from being at this point yeah. above a major league average hitter. And so if that comes down, wow, that would be great. Um, my strong performer for this week is one Brady Singer. Mike, we've talked about him as a weak performer many times this year, but he's now on a little bit of stretch of having at least some production as a pitcher. It's it's coming in a way that I'm not overly comfortable with because what you're seeing and what we saw today from Brady Singer, he went out and spun a gem against the Dodgers. Uh, but overall for the week, he made two starts. He went 13 inning, 13 innings pitched. One earned run, eight hits, seven strikeouts, and five walks. You'll notice the strikeouts there, not very high. The walks, pretty high. That's usually not a good formula for success for a pitcher, but you are seeing better command from him in some ways. Like he's keeping the ball on the edges and out of the heart of the plate. He's also walking more guys as a result. He's not getting strikeouts because his stuff is not really swing and miss stuff right now. We'll see if that changes. Still not throwing his changeup. Still not throwing a third pitch. We have we have remarked many times that he is not going to reach his potential until he develops that third pitch. I still think that's the case, but it is nice to see him at least having some production and finding a little bit more of that command than he's had in the past. When the command is good, he is good. The problem is you're not, what do they say, you're going to have your best stuff one third of the time. The other two thirds, he is not very good. And so until he, like you said, until he develops a third pitch, that's how it'll always be. He'll string two starts together like this. The next one, he'll give up eight runs into three innings. It's just how it goes. Let's hope he uh, does not do that. Let's hope he has a nice run of, of, uh, <laughs> of games At this here. point, I'm just getting frustrated with the well, guy. I like, am too. And, and I think a lot of Royals fans are because, you know, you're a professional major league pitcher. It's kind of your job to learn to throw more pitches. Right? Like That's like, that's in the job description, I'm pretty sure. And we know, we know at, at some point the Royals have told him that. Yes. We know the last year's team said We know it. that they that's the case. Said, we're trying to get him to throw that changeup. We know it's happening. We know it's happening. If, if you don't like it, pick something different. But you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect that you're going to dominate guys with a two-seamer that goes 93 and a change or a slider you can barely get in the zone. Yeah. So. It's, yeah. And so hopefully he does that. I think if you, you match that up with, you know, more consistent command and you have a really quality major league starter, but hopefully he can keep stringing these uh, starts together and, and having some success. Not everybody had success this week, especially in that Guardian series. Mike, who were your weak performers for this week? Well, we got to start taking a look at Nick Prado. Uh, Nick Prado, you know, we know the background there. He's going to take some walks. He's going to have, generally speaking, good plate appearances. But the knock on him is he he looks at strike three too much. So he could be a guy that really benefits from just put the ball in play with two strikes. Uh, but he was three for seventeen with a double, two walks, and eight strikeouts this week. That's not going to be a productive thing from from Nick Prado. Uh, you know, we had him in the leadoff spot. I was hoping he would – his ISO cannot be very high because he's just not really driving the ball. Even in the, the success that he's had, it's been a lot of uh, singles, a lot of soft contact. So I'd like to see a little bit more from Nick Prado. He's a guy that's been, a, been able to show the ability to make adjustments, and he needs one now. He does. And we knew this would be the case, right? That strikeout rate was always too high. That batting average on balls in play was always too high to be sustainable. He was never going to keep hitting the way that he was with sort of the approach that he's taking at the plate where he is taking way too many strike threes, where he's striking out way too much. Hopefully he can make an adjustment. He can learn how to maybe expand that zone, a little, his hitting zone a little bit more on with uh, two strikes, just try and make some contact and that sort of thing. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, I'm talking about a guy in Samad Taylor who I'm really excited to have at the major league level and who I'm excited about as a player, but he has did not play well last week. He went 0 for 7 with two walks and two strikeouts. It's good to see like the even walks to strikeouts number, and he's he is having some decent plate appearances. It's just that thing that happens when guys get in the major leagues. It is a different league. It is harder. It is di- harder to put the ball in play and get hits. It's just a tougher league, and he's finding out that it is uh, harder to hit at, major, at the major league level, especially when you're not playing every day, right? And he's not playing every day. They're trying to put him in advantageous situations to hit, but it's tough, you know? And so I think he'll be okay. I think they're going to hopefully maybe just let him weather the storm up here at ma- in the majors, uh, and then we'll see where he goes from there. A good utility piece, a good guy who you want to put in uh, successful situations. He is the textbook guy they want in, on the Royals, on this version of the Royals team, like you don't have to be a superstar every day. 
if you can be successful when we put you in and the situations we're going to put you in, then we're going to have you up here. And I think he's the type of guy who will add value in a lot of ways for them. But rough week for him last week. Mike, in a week where they went three and three, looked great at some times and not great in others. What was your theme for this week for the Royals? My theme is the anomaly. And Mark, do you know what that comes from? Yes, I do know. I know his whole career what does it come inside from, Mike? and out. Come on. It's from it's from the second <laughs> Matrix movie. The Matrix Very good. Reloaded. Okay, so Mark Mark is a is I don't know, a Keanu Reeves stalker. No, um, aficionado. I'm an aficionado. Obsessed. He's obsessed with Keanu Reeves. Call it it's a really uh, what, what do they say? An un uh, unauthorized biographer, maybe, would be a, a better <laughs> word for it. Okay, yeah. So my brother is obsessed with Keanu Reeves. I, the last few days, have watched because I got HBO Max and they have all the Matrixes and I haven't seen them in a long time. I went through and watched them all. And I was like, oh, the anomaly. That's what that Dodger series reminded me of. Because they talk about, they kind of explain why, you know, the one exists, the anomaly exists within the Matrix and all that sort of stuff. And to balance it all out. And I thought, you know what? This is what that is. The, the Dodger series is a series to remind people that we're still playing Major League Baseball and teams like the Royals can still beat teams like the Dodgers. It's like, it's the it's what it's the unbalance that only gets balanced when the Royals win nine to one. <laughs> this is so funny. My theme actually jives perfectly with yours, but I didn't realize it would until you started explaining it. Um, and my my I have, my theme is a question: Did the Royals get all that bad luck back in one series? And so I'm wondering, like, did all that is it all balancing out with the Royals getting extremely lucky in this Dodgers series? Saturday they were extremely lucky in everything that happened offensively and they ended up winning six to four, right? It was like everything they touched with the bat fell for a hit. <laughs> and I was Salvador like, Perez, I want to know the expected batting average on oh. that hit Salvador Perez had. It had to start with a zero. Well, it had to be point zero if, something. If Bobby Witt Jr. isn't trying to steal second at that time, the second baseman is camped under that ball the entire time, right? Like the same <laughs> Bobby had a blue pit. Everybody had blue pits that game. And it's like, okay, that's awesome. But I don't want all the luck back in one series. I want it spread out over the rest of the year, you know. And so, but I guess we're going to get all the luck back in one series. I want it to be against the Dodgers, where we can take two of three from one of the best teams in baseball. Royals Weekly is brought to you by All In Physical Therapy. For one-on-one personalized physical therapy, we choose All In Physical Therapy. They took excellent care of our mother after surgery left her with pain and limited mobility in her arm. She loves to work out, be active, crush walnuts in between her toes. The excellent specialized care she got at All In Physical Therapy had her back to being active in no time. It's one of the grossest and most impressive things I've ever seen, people. It's it's unreal, <laughs> all right? Uh, imagine that. Uh, All In Physical Therapy knows how to help athletes recover. It's owned and operated by Lisa its own Tommy Freevert, a former Arena League football player, Northwest Missouri State Bearcat, and a hell of a guy. They have offices in both Blue Springs and Lee Summit, so get over there to work with Tommy. Tell your doctor you want to do your physical therapy with the best of the best at All In Physical Therapy. To learn more, give them a call at 816-427-5300. That's 816-427-5300. Or visit their website at allin-pt.com. That's A-L-L-I-N-PT.com. The 2023 MLB Draft is in exactly one week. We'll be bringing you live coverage of that on our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash at Royals Weekly. Make sure you subscribe to that. But for this week's spotlight segment, we thought we would make we would preview the draft and take a look at what the Royals will be attempting to do as they add talent to their organization. The prospect evaluation process has been a long one, but we're at the point where we have as much information as we're going to have about these players who will be available next week. So let's talk about them. A reminder, the MLB draft is very different from the NFL draft or other drafts that you may follow. It's a lot less predictable and there's much less certainty in players' outcomes because so much depends on player development and injury and so forth. Not to mention issues with signability. That's another big, complicated thing that takes place in the draft that makes guys more or less likely to go when you think they should. So, Let's start with the Royals' first pick at number eight. The Royals will pick eighth overall. Mike, who do you expect to be available at eight, and what do you think of that group? Well, you know, when you pick eighth, almost everyone's going to be available, except for seven guys. So <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I'm, I just put down all the prep players are going to be available. The only two I expect to be gone are Walker Jenkins and Max Clark, the two, generally speaking, most highly thought of uh, prep players, both uh, – both uh, outfielders, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
And so then I put also down guys that might be in that Royals range that a lot of people are, are mocking to the Royals or um, think maybe the Royals should take Kyle Teal, the catcher out of Virginia, Chase Dollander, the right-handed pitcher out of Tennessee, hard thrower, uh, Tommy Troy, the shortstop out of T- Stanford, Matt Shaw, the shortstop out of Maryland. Now there's a lot of other ones, obviously, but those are kind of the group. If you hear one of their names called at eight on uh, Sunday, don't be surprised. Yeah, the few other guys who might be available still at that time who probably will be available at that time. Enrique Bradfield Jr. is a guy a lot of people have talked about as a classic Royals prospect. Uh, not sure that they'll take him or anything, but he'd probably be available at that time. Hurston Waldrop, right-handed pitcher. I think he's ready. He out of Florida, who had a pretty good College World Series. Uh, impressive there. Also probably likely to be available for the Royals at 8. Prep guys like Noble Meyer and Blake Mitchell are players that have been linked with the Royals up to this point. There's a lot of rumor and, and discussion about uh, the Royals being interested in, in prep players like that. Noble Meyer is a right-handed pitcher, I think, out of Oregon or somewhere up in the Pacific Northwest. And Blake Mitchell is a catcher, for now, out of Texas. And so uh, big, big left-handed hitter, I think, uh, Blake Mitchell. Of that group, Mike, who do you prefer that they take? Assuming all the guys that we've mentioned are available, who do you prefer that they take at eight and why? Well, I've been saying this for a while. I think I said this the last time we talked about the draft, which was quite a while ago now, but I like Matt Shaw. I like the shortstop out of Maryland, Matt Shaw. I don't necessarily think that he's a long-term shortstop, especially if you have a Bobby Witt Jr. or Michael Garcia on your team. You would never have Matt Shaw playing short if those two guys are there. It's not that he's not fast enough. His arm just isn't uh, quite what you want at the shortstop position. Although I will say this about people who are knocking Matt Shaw's arm. Nicky Lopez does not have the strongest arm in the world, and nobody will ever complain about him playing shortstop for their team because he he does a damn fine job. Matt Shaw doesn't have that much weaker of an arm than Nicky Lopez. Okay? Uh, A little development, or maybe they could do something. If his arm strength improves at all, I think he becomes a serviceable major league shortstop. Um, But put him at second base. He might be the best college bat in this draft. Okay? I know outside Dylan Cruz, obviously. Um, but he is a fantastic hitter and he comes with power. He comes with approach. I've seen him put two or three balls out to right center. He's a left-handed batter guys. He has power to all fields and the, he, I mean, he was the Cape Cod MVP. That's maybe the best league you can, you can be in. Yes. Question from the, he's a right-handed batter. That's what I said, right? Put him out to right center. Yeah. No, you said left-handed oh, sorry. batter. He's a, he's a right-handed batter putting him out to right center. So opposite field power from this guy. He, I mean, he's got everything you want in a hitting profile, and he can run a little bit. And so I really like Matt Shaw. If he's your second baseman in the future, if he's your left fielder of the future, hell, if he's your DH of the future, that's fine because he's going to bring an approach, he's going to bring some pop, and he's going to bring some energy. He's an energetic player as well. So I really like Matt Shaw. I don't think you can miss an eight if you take Matt Shaw. Some of the other ones, some people are comparing Tommy Troy to him. I don't see the, the power profile for Tommy Troy that I do in Matt Shaw. So I don't like that quite as much. I also don't see the athletic ability. Although Shaw, some people are saying Shaw can play shortstop or not Shaw. Troy can play shortstop. I don't think he stays at short either. I think he moves to third. And so, um, yeah, that's why I would go Shaw over Troy. I, I don't dislike Troy as a prospect, but I don't like him near as much as I do Matt Shaw. Right. You, I'm a big Matt Shaw guy and have been for a month and a half, two months at this point, just because you're talking about a guy who might be the second or third best college hitter in this draft. You're talking about a guy who not only had tremendous success at the college level with, you know, hitting bombs, his approach, he's got more walks and strikeouts, all that stuff. He also had tremendous success on the Cape when hitting with MVP. a wood bat. And so you're talking, he was the Cape Cod MVP, you know, and, and he'll drop down boards because there's not a clear defensive position for him because he doesn't play a premium defensive position. And people are underlooking this because he's not a huge guy, right? He's like 5'10". He is decked out in muscle. It looks like he's tapped out in terms of physical development. That's fine. It does not matter because at this point, he hits the ball hard enough to be a professional, like a Major League Baseball player right now. The things he needs to learn throughout Minor League Baseball have nothing to do with the ability to hit the ball hard, right? He can do that. He can hit the ball real hard. He can. He has a good approach. He has a good hit tool. To me, that's kind of a no-brainer. So if they're going to go with like best player available, best guy on their board, that kind of draft strategy, I'd go with Shaw. I'd also go with Shaw if he's willing to take a little bit less money because on a lot of public boards, he's like 15 to 20 range in terms of a prospect. So if he'll take, you know, 20 money, 
and then you can save a little bit of money. That's like the dream scenario. For me, dream scenario for the Royals is they take Matt Shaw and he's willing to take half a million dollars less than slot. That would be huge for the Royals, right? Because then they could give that half a million to somebody else later. Maybe that won't happen. Maybe he's not willing to take that deal. He's an amazing player. I'd take him and just give him slot value if he really wanted it. But I am also comfortable with the Royals doing an under slot move at eight this year. If they're going to do an under slot move, this is a good draft to do it in. There are a lot of tier two talents who they could pick up at 44 and 62 to really give them a really good first three rounds. Okay. Now names like Noble Meyer and Blake Mitchell have been floated to them. And those are guys who might take a little bit under slot, especially Mitchell, uh, who is more likely to probably be a first baseman or an outfielder or something like that, but is a big time bat uh, who they could really develop. So I'm also happy with an under slot move. If they'd like to do that, taking a guy like Blake Mitchell and, uh, and saving some money so they can spend it later on pick 44 and 62. Mike, speaking of pick 44, who are some names that you like for the Royals at 44, their first pick in the second round? Yeah, this one was tough. Um, and I'm going to, of course, blank on his name because I didn't keep it up. Tucker? No. Uh, who's the kid from from uh, Virginia Tech? Uh, Jack Hurley? Yes, that's it. Thank okay. you. Hurley. Uh, he's the one that I really wanted to go with, but I think he's going to be gone. Uh, if we get a chance to get Hurley go run it up there, take it because he, I think has the ability to develop going to be a great player, but he was just a little bit too high on a lot of boards. I was like, eh, he's not going to be there at 44. Uh, so I went with a guy named, I went with a prep arm named Cole Schoenwetter. Great name, by the way. Um, right-handed pitcher out of Southern California. He's a somewhat polished kid in that he's a really good athlete. He repeats his mechanics very well. Uh, right now, a low 90s fastball, but with really high spin rates. So he gets a lot of uh, swing and miss on the fastball in, you know, those elite prep circuits, perfect game type stuff. Um, has a good uh, curveball, throws a changeup as well. But I think if we, if you're going with this guy, yes, he needs to work on his command like all prep pitchers do. Um, but if you're going with him, you're going with him because of the fact that he's a, a good athlete on the mound. He kind of reminds me when I look at him on the mound of a Zach Grinke coming out. Zach Grinke was a kid out of Florida that was an athletic pitcher that wasn't huge. And this kid's not huge, but he was really athletic on the mound. He had good command. Now he's got, Zach had great command in high school. Uh, Sean Wetter needs better command now, but, uh, but you just felt like, okay, with the stuff that he has, he will develop. So I think Sean Wetter probably gains two to three miles per hour on his fastball. I think he gains better command because he's an athlete. So he's the kind of guy I would look at at 44. Uh, it's a lot of upside in that prep arm. Are you ready to hear a little bit about a dream, Mike? Because I got okay. a dream. Sure. Okay. You got at, a dream? At 40, a boy with a dream. We mentioned my dream is that Matt Shaw is willing to take under slot at eight and they get him for 500 or so grand less, right? So whoever they take at eight, whether it's Shaw or Mitchell, if they can save a little bit of money there and find a way to float a guy like Thomas White, or Cameron Johnson down to 44, float a guy, if for those who don't know, means like agree to pay a guy, know that they'll get that guy's number, they can meet that guy's signing number, and no other team will. And so if Thomas White or Cameron Johnson somehow make it down to 44, and they can pay that guy what he wants, that's what I want. Who are Thomas White and Cameron Johnson? They're both big prep left-handed pitchers. White's from Massachusetts, Cameron Johnson from Florida, raw big athletes, big time stuff. Those are the type of guys I'd be like, yes, please. At, uh, at 44, that's a dream scenario. White may not make it. Johnson may not make it. Their numbers might be too high. They may not be willing to take even 500 more than slot value or whatever the Royals could offer them at 44. So that's a little bit of a dream, right? Another guy who's a little bit of a dream, Joe Whitman, a big lefty out of Kent state, uh, Think about Thomas White, basically, or Cameron Johnson only four years from now. That's what Joe Whitman is. <laughs> He's like 6'5", left-handed, good good pitcher, great numbers out of Kent State. Like him a lot, too. I also like Jack Hurley, who you mentioned from Virginia Tech. And Nolan Chanul, a first baseman outfielder from Florida Atlantic, is another college guy I like in, at pick 44. Now, some people might say none of those guys are going to be available at 44. Here's what's interesting about the Major League Baseball draft. One of them will be baseball. One of them going to be there, right? One of them's <laughs> going to be there. Right. And so 
that's the thing. A lot of guys, when you start getting down to picks 44, 62 or whatever, the board is not what they call chalky for Major League Baseball. Other guys who nobody's ever heard of are going to get taken above them. And some of these guys that we do know and we really like are going to fall. Okay. One of these guys hopefully will be available at 44. I would love to see the Royals take a chance on some of them. I also have some guys later on who I'd be happy with. Yeah, go ahead. Do you know, do you know who White is committed to? Thomas White? I don't. Do you? You don't? I don't. I know Cameron Johnson is committed to LSU. And so I always wonder, like, how does NL, NIL money now play into their decision to sign? Because Cameron Johnson is thought of as maybe the best high school stuff in the draft. I mean, he's got just a huge fastball, left-handed, giant human being. Uh, goes to IMG in Florida. He's committed to Vanderbilt. Uh, White is? Okay. Yeah. So there's another yeah. team that's going to get a lot of uh, NIL money uh, for their baseball team. And so, yeah, I, I always wonder on that stuff. I, I thought about putting Cameron Johnson in there, but I liked the um, kind of, I don't know, the athleticism maybe more of uh, Schoenwetter, and I liked maybe the polish on him a little bit more. But certainly Cameron Johnson is – very impressive. I mean, he's, he's a guy I would certainly be happy with at 44. Yeah. I know it's tough to talk about pick 62, Mike. At that point, we're, we're getting down into some players who are a lot less known, a lot more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Variants is probably, there are a lot more high variants. Any thoughts on a player you'd love if, it, if he made it down to 62 for the Royals? Yeah. Uh, Hunter Owen, a left-handed pitcher out of Vanderbilt, is a guy that, and you, when you described um, Thomas White, or no, not Thomas White. When you describe Joe Whitman, it kind of made me think of him a little bit. Uh, yeah. Hunter Owens, a big left-handed kid. He's like 6'6 six, six and 260 pounds. He's a big human being. Big guy, really good slider, good command, and he's got a solid fastball as well. He's really got like all the tools you would want as a starting pitcher and would be listed much higher on a lot of these boards if it wasn't for some injury concern. And he only also only had one year starting at Vanderbilt. And so... You know, one year starting at Vanderbilt and he got hurt during that year. That's why he's going to may fall a little bit. But I think he's the perfect kind of guy to take, because if you maybe make that fastball a little bit better, if you maybe make a third pitch, he's got a uh, he's got a really good slider, but he throws four pitches. So maybe you throw maybe his changeup becomes a little bit better. Whatever the Royals need to do. I don't as long as he stays healthy, I don't feel like there's a lot of work to do for Hunter Owen to be a contributor at the major league level. And if he takes a big step with one of those other pitches, you're talking about a front end guy. And so I thought uh, Hunter Owen was, was a great pick if you can get him at 62. Yeah, actually he was going to be my pick until I saw that you had taken him uh, at at 62. (laughs) And so, yeah, I love Hunter Owen as an option there. A guy who you're always looking for gigantic left-handers who have really, he kind of, he kind of reminds me of Reagan's a little bit. Yeah. Just the, the way that they throw. Probably, probably bigger, bigger than Reagan's even. I mean, like, yeah, he is. He's heavier. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. He's huge. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I'd love to see Hunter Owen at 62. That'd be great. I'm going to throw out two guys, one of whom I'm just now learning more about, but intrigues me. Uh, his name is Gino Groover, which is a great name anyway. Uh, he is a, uh, <laughs> he's a, basically he's a first baseman out of North Carolina State. I think they're playing him at third, but he is not an athletic dude, overly athletic, but he's a hitter. He's, he is a Vinny Pasquin. He's a hitter. The guy can hit. And so I was like, hey, at 62, I'm looking for somebody who can be an elite at anything. He can be a very, very good hitter at the professional level. A guy who maybe 60 grade, I think MLB Pipeline gives him a 60 grade hit tool and then 50 grade power. And it's like, wow, if you can get a 60 grade hit tool at 62, I'll take it. You know, if you can get a guy who's not going to strike out at 62, I'll take it and hits the ball hard enough to consistently get on base. I'll take it. Right. Like, and so yes, Groover might just be a first baseman. Fine. If he's a first baseman who can someday hit 290 at the major league level with a 370 on base and a 450 slugging, I'll take it, you know, like uh, to get that at 62 would be incredible. And so he's a guy I'm, I'm really interested in at 62. Another guy is a big right-handed pitcher out of Texas named Tanner Witt. He is a powerful righty, a lot of uh, uh, juice on his name a while back, but he's just coming off Tommy John surgery. And so we don't know much about like what he is right now, uh, but he's a guy who lots of potential inside there, only 20 years old. Uh, they could really maybe turn it, hand over to this pitching development and say, let's see what you really got pitching development. If you can, if, if you're, if you're as good as you have looked, you can turn a guy like this into something special. 
Overall, Mike, last question of the segment. We are running way long. I'm going to be up very late tonight. Overall, how do you want the Royals to approach this draft? Well, contrary to the guys I actually picked, here's how I prefer that they do this, okay? At least two of those first three picks should be college bats, in my opinion, okay? Then with the rest of the draft, you go out and you get arms that fit your development plan as a system. You have a new development team in. They should have a plan and a profile for a kind of guy that they want you to draft. You go out and you find as many of those guys as you can that you can plug in there. They're not all going to hit. In fact, very few of them are, but you're going to have, you're going to really jumpstart that development program. If you can put an influx of arms in there, I think it's always prudent to go college bat in the, at least right now, because we know that's kind of the, that's the formula right now to get a guy that's a, you're not going, that's not going to be a nothing. Okay. You're going to be able to get this guy to major league baseball. He's going to be able to contribute. And honestly, it's just, it's, we're to a point where taking prep bats that early outside of maybe like a Jackson holiday or a, who was that awesome guy last year? A uh, real, real young kid. Um, I can't remember right hand. Are you thinking like Cam Collier? Player. Yeah. Outside those things, you know, you're, he you, wasn't technically a high school player. <laughs> Remember, yeah, he's, he was he, he graduated was a, early, right. went to college. Yeah, right. yeah, the old Bryce Harper. Um, but I think it's much safer to go college bat. You're going to have more information, more data. So go college bat at least two of those first three picks, and then just a ton of arms that will fit your development. Yeah, and think about the arms the Royals have had some of that success with: David Sandlin, Stephen Zoback. Those are guys who are yeah, they're college players in low A, but they've had some success so far. And so maybe that's a pretty decent approach. I really like that approach. Uh, the the hitters, the, we're on team draft more hitters alongside our friend Alex Duvall, uh, hashtag draft more hitters. The, the, there's, a, there's a philosophy behind this that's like, because of how volatile pitching development is, you wait and take those guys later. You can find guys with the physical attributes necessary to be successful major league pitchers in rounds three through 20. You can find a bunch of them, right? So just draft a bunch of them. Let the volatility take its place. Let your pitching development get a hold of them and make them into something better. And you'll see the Steven Zobacks of the world, the Mason Barnett's, the Cam, or the, not Cam Colliers, but uh, Chandler Champlain's who the Royals didn't draft, Noah, but also yeah. was, you know, a guy who's Noah taken Cameron's. later. Noah Cameron's and all that sort of stuff. they'll become successful major leaguers. I'm also okay in terms of my approach. If the Royals try and do an underslot move for a college or prep bat in the first round and then get upside talent at two and three, I know Royals fans are not big, big uh, proponents of underslotting, but if you can do it successfully, if you do it wisely, if you had good scouting and development, it actually turns into a much better opportunity because what do we know about baseball? It's about depth. It's not about premium talent. It is about depth. It's not like the NFL where if you have the best quarterback, you have a really good chance of winning, right? It's not like the NBA where any good player you have is going to be one of five on the court at any given time. Baseball, you have to have a deep roster all the time. And so the more guys you can get who have a better chance of contributing at the major league level, the better you have a chance of winning and developing a a competitive roster. I'm perfectly fine with underslotting, if that means they get three guys who look like they have a really good possibility of being major league contributors someday, rather than just getting one guy and then a couple guys who are like, eh, long shot, but they might make it, right? Like, no, give me, I'm okay with the underslot move, especially this year where that tier two looks very, very deep. Looks like it will go well past 62. I think they have a good chance to get some guys. The Royals have a full slate of games on the road against two division rivals this week, leading into the All-Star break next week. They'll face the Minnesota Twins for three and then the Cleveland Guardians for four before the draft kicks off All-Star week on July 9th. Mike, tell us about the Minnesota Twins and make it quick because we are running long. Well, the Minnesota Twins are in first place in the AL Central with a robust record of 42 and 43. Okay. Under 500. Almost 500, y'all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In the first game, it'll be a very interesting matchup for a couple reasons. Austin Cox will go against Joe Ryan. Joe Ryan's a 27-year-old right-hander out of Cal State Stanislaus, that titan of education. <laughs> 3.44 ERA with a .97 whip. Joe Ryan is a damn good pitcher, people. And it'll be very fun to see Austin Cox get his uh, second start in Major League Baseball, I believe. Um, Joe Ryan throws a fastball in the really low to mid nineties, but he's really effective with it. 
and he throws a split finger and a sweeper and a slider. He's been using his splitter as his primary secondary pitch this year, and it's doing very well. Um, Joe Ryan can flat out throw the baseball. Zach Greinke versus Kenta Maeda, 35-year-old right-handed pitcher out of Japan, not doing so well. 6.23 ERA with a 1.46 whip. It's a slider, it's a splitter, it's a low low uh, 90s fastball and a curveball, um, giving up a ton of hard contact, soft-throwing uh, righty. We've seen him quite a bit in the last few years as well. So really, two battles of the, the olds in that game was that old soft tossies today, or I guess they throw slow now, but let's hope they uh, take their Geritol. That's right. Um, in the, another interesting game in the last game, probably be uh, Jordan Lyles versus Pablo Lopez, but we don't know that exactly yet. Could be Alec Marsh, Pablo Lopez, 27 year old right-handed pitcher out of Venezuela, 4.24 ERA and a 1.15 whip. So he's not, his ERA is not quite as good, but Pablo Lopez is a damn good pitcher. Fastball in the mid nineties, Change up sweeper, curveball, sinker. His ERA is higher than uh, what the peripherals indicate he should be pitching. And so he is kind of their, I guess you call him their ace. He's their, he and Joe Ryan are their one two punch. Back in the days of uh, like, what was it, Johan Santana and was it Brad Radke early Brad in Radke. Santana's career? Yeah, yeah, Radke could pitch when, uh, when Santana was early. He kind of fell off a cliff, but Brad Radke yeah. and Johan Santana. Uh, after the uh, series in Minnesota, they'll take off for Cleveland where everyone wants to go. Uh, 40 and 42 are the guardians second in the AL central just behind them. And the twins are just kind of flip flopping for Kings of the mediocre King shit, a turd mountain. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) the offense is led by Josh Naylor and Jose Ramirez, a bunch. It's those two and a bunch of average to slightly below average guys. Will Brennan was a guy, a Kansas city native who had a big series against the Royals the last time. Cleveland, they, they played Cleveland, which was like a week ago. Uh, they'll have a lot of games against Cleveland in the this span we're going here. Uh, Cleveland really gets by with a good rotation. They got Shane Bieber. They got Tanner Bibby. I'm going to call it Bibby. Uh, they got Aaron Savali, all guys with ERAs in the threes. They got a couple other guys with talent who maybe uh, Gavin Williams we saw last time. Who maybe oh, yeah. uh, Logan, Logan Logan Allen? They they sent Logan Allen down, man. They After sent that. Logan Allen down. Uh, who's a guy who's having trouble with pitch efficiency? Couldn't get through. Uh, more than four innings at a time, even though he wasn't giving up a lot of runs, they sent him down. So we probably won't see him, but we'll see some of their other good starting pitchers in that series. We'll end this week's episode with our Just About Outside segment, where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike, it has been a wild, wild week for me. Tell me what you've been up to. Um, Nothing? I haven't really done much, but uh, for my just a bit outside, I did, uh, you and I did go golfing in the blistering hundred degree heat Wednesday with our boy Ox and uh big thanks to him. He gave us like the old free round of golf thing. Um, but one thing that got me that day was I went to a barbecue place in Raytown called Heart Barbecue. I highly recommend checking it out. But while I was sitting there eating a very good chopped brisket sandwich by myself, loser, um, it made me think like, <laughs> like, Nobody talks about this place, but it's, it's fantastic barbecue. How great is it to live in Kansas city? Like, and so I just started thinking about the different great things we were getting ready to go play at a golf course. That isn't like they're not playing the U S open at this place, but it's cheap and it's in decent shape. Yeah, I like it. You know, I was thinking about uh, like, Oh, cost of living very low here in in the greater Kansas city area. I can have good barbecue. Even if I don't go to one of the top threes, cause I don't live anywhere close to, to Joe's or, and some of the gates or in some of those other places. Um, it's just like, we have kind of everything you could want except an ocean, which I'm afraid of now anyway, because of the um, orcas turning over so, boats because of the orcas, the undertoes. I mean, everything, everything I see on the internet, the, the subs that get crushed. I'm afraid of it all. Okay. Um, and so, but I want to, I, I just really, uh, Kansas city, you're, we're doing great guys. We're doing great. Kansas city. I know the Missouri legislature sucks. Yes, but they're terrible. And the assessment thing, the, the Jackson County assessment thing sucks. Yeah. That's but, nice. you know, Kansas City is a great place to live. And so this is my Kansas City appreciation uh, just a bit outside. And it's only getting better. New airport, Kansas City current, oh, yeah. downtown baseball. They're getting their new stadium, yeah. getting the World Cup. World Cup's coming. Great, great stuff. Um, uh, I, I just, uh, my interest about outside for this week is going to be about an idea. Uh, it's an idea that my partner told me about, but we were sort of talking about this, um, 
thing the other day and she mentioned that she had heard something about it on a podcast or something. Uh, but it was a good idea, I thought. And so I wanted to bring it up. And that's the notion of 60-40 relationships. And so she and I, she had a rough week this week physically. And so I spent a lot of time this last week sort of taking care of her and picking up some slack around the house with house things just to make sure that she didn't have to exert herself while she was going through some physical stuff. And we were talking about it the other day and she's like, I was listening to a podcast where she, where she was saying like, the person was like, relationships should not be 50-50. She's like, the person was advocating that relationships, and I, I think this is true of whether they're like romantic partnerships or friendships or whatever like that, uh, relationships should be 60-40. And that 60-40 should oscillate back and forth for whoever needs to be the 40% that week, you know, or that day or whatever, you know, like, and I thought that that was a really great idea. I speak a lot of times, sometimes here on the podcast about treating people with grace and, 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 and learning to be sort of uh, very um, not just forgiving, but also accommodating of people and, and things like that. And it's important, I think, to understand that sometimes somebody's going to need you to be the 60% and it, it's good. It feels good to be the 60% for someone that week. If you're, if you're someone who's got to be the 60%, do it with, with gusto, do it, you know, relish being the 60% for someone that week. And if you're someone who's going to be 40%, be appreciative and be thankful and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And it feels really good to have a relationship where you can be somebody who comes through for somebody else, uh, in that moment. Mike mentioned our friend Ox who came through with some free golf the other day. He was being 60% for us. Hopefully I can be 60% for him whenever he needs me to be. And, and those are the kinds of things that uh, I think are was an interesting idea. And I, I like that idea when it comes to relationships. I'd rather somebody be 60% when I need them to be than kill themselves to be 50% all the time, if that makes sense. Anyway, this is Dr. Mead and this is the love doctor, Dr. Mead coming through <laughs> with some, uh, with some relationship advice for the, uh, for the lonely hearts. The ladies out there. man. <laughs> uh, tune in next week for more. Actually next week will be our live. We will be coming to you live next week on YouTube. Check that out. Uh, YouTube.com slash at Royals weekly for our draft coverage. Cause it's happening Sunday night. We're recording it Sunday night. Make sure you're tuning in for that until then be good to each other and go Royals.